Welcome to Arrested DevOps, episode 42, Life, the Universe, and Everything. I mean, ChatOps Extravaganza. I'm your co-host, Matt Stratton, at Matt Stratton on Twitter. I'm your co-host, Trevor Hess, at Trevor G. Hess on Towel, Twitter. Arrested DevOps is brought to you by 10th Magnitude, a cloud services company that figures if you're listening to this podcast, you must be pretty cool. You can find out about joining their cloud services team at arresteddevops.com slash 10th Magnitude. This episode is also sponsored by VictorOps. From initial alarm to final retrospective, the mission at VictorOps is to make on-call suck less. Easily integrate with your existing monitoring systems and manage on-call schedules with rules for intelligent routing. In the live infrastructure timeline, get real context and see annotated alarms with resolution documentation. And when you're in the firefight, collaboratively, collaboratively troubleshoot using native chat or bi-directional integrations with your favorite chat clients. Visit arresteddevops.com victorops and sign up for a 14-day free trial to see how they're making on-call suck less. This episode is also brought to you by Datadog, a monitoring tool that helps bridge the gap between operations and dev teams. Datadog brings together system metrics, changes, alerts, and events from over 70 common infrastructure tools, such as Chef, Docker, and AWS, so that dev and ops teams share their key data and alerts in a single place and collaborate on issues in real time. Datadog is available for a free 14-day trial at arresteddevops.com datadog. We're recording this live from DevOps Day Chicago. Joining us again is Jason Hand of VictorOps. Hey, how's it going? Happy to be here. This is, uh, I think, Jason, I think this is your third time on Arrested DevOps. It did, yeah. The first time was DevOps Day Chicago last year, mm-hmm. uh, although I don't remember what the topic was. It was DevOps Day Chicago, I think. <laughs> What's the topic? Yeah, yeah. Why I don't remember. Um, but yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, and I, oh, actually, you technically you were on our ChefConf episode uh, reading the Victor Ops ads. So yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that counts. Sure. <laughs> Uh, we also have another repeat guest, which is our old pal, Sasha Rosenbaum. Sasha, uh, can you remind people who you are? Yes, yeah, so I'm a <laughs> consultant. I work with 10th Magnitude, the Chicago-based consulting company, who is also a sponsor of this show. And this is also my third time on this show. I'm super excited to be here. So can you tell our listeners the other shows, the other episodes you were so on? So right in the beginning, so one was about help which was entirely awesome, I think. And another, I think it was about managing your mental stuff. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, those two, yeah. It's three, two three-peats on the same episode. Yeah. Veterans. And- <laughs> yep. So thanks, Sasha, for, for joining us. Uh, and for our, our, for our single first-time guest is uh, Peter Burkholder of Chef. Peter, can you tell us, the audience, a little bit about yourself? Well, as you mentioned, I'm at Chef. I'm a customer engineer guiding many of our enterprise customers on the to using Chef and succeeding in DevOps. Great. So uh, we've had uh, a desire to do an episode around chat ops for a while. Trevor has been demanding to do this, and I told him, you know, well, fine, plan it, make it happen. And so I think we started talking about it about a year ago, and now you're finally doing it. So awesome. It was, it was six months ago. Yeah. <laughs> Let's and, be fair. And uh, interestingly, uh, and so we, 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 you know, we knew right away when we wanted to do this episode that we wanted to have Jason on as he has maybe to his chagrin become known as the, the chat ops person <laughs> over the last year. But at the same time, we've had some conversations. I know, you know, Sasha's talked about the use of chat within her professional work. And then recently at Chef, we, uh, wow, can you guys hear Peter's eye roll happen that just occurred as I said <laughs> that? Uh, we just rebooted uh, in some way some of our internal communication to be very chat focused. And, you know, Peter and I have talked about it a bunch and 
wanted to kind of have a, a pretty frank uh, open forum around both what actual how chat ops, what it's, it's crazy it is to say traditional chat ops or what we traditionally think of, but then also what does kind of this asynchronous or synchronous as it might be type of chat communication mean inside a company that's going through these transitions. So um, so that being started, I mean, I guess one of the things is, so what, what, what is the difference between chat and chat ops, so to speak? Um, well, I think the origins of the, of the term chat ops uh, itself actually came out of the ops team in GitHub. Um, I think that teams initially have this idea that chat ops is really only about doing, uh, you know, pushing code and deploying platforms and, and all that kind of stuff, which certainly is, you know, activities that teams are doing. But at least within VictorOps, we're seeing results simply, simply by just kind of having a, a general rule that if I, you know, have a question from somebody who's an employee of mine or a coworker of mine, Rather than doing an email back and forth, a conversation that is essentially being black boxed or siloed, I can now just put that out into a room that everybody gets to see, and we can have these same conversations. But instead of them being, like I said, completely black boxed and and, and controlled and away from everybody else, we're now you know, starting to have it a little bit more shared. And so I, that <clears throat> go ahead. that seems to fall into the realm of general group chat and chat ops. I think has been an incredibly powerful tool to actually take actions from a shared client that everyone can see what's going on and um, be, and bringing your infrastructure into the room itself is a pretty much an unalloyed good. I think there's a little bit of over subscription to, to chat when you start mixing in synchronous and asynchronous forms of communication. So something should be black box and asynchronous. When I emailed Matt Stratton about what hotel I should stay in Austin, <laughs> I emailed him because I could get an answer anytime in the next 24 hours. I didn't give a damn when I got that answer back. And then he said, hey, what about Slack? It's like, well, <laughs> damn it. I'll use Slack when I actually need, hey, I'm meeting with a client right now. We don't know what the hell is going on with this wonderful piece of code you wrote. And then I actually need him to be synchronously interrupted. And so well, I think we just need some new ways as we move to chat to identify what's wrong with email um, and how do we identify new ways of handling asynchronous communication that may be different in nature and in content than what's happening real time in a chat room. Yeah, and I think what you're suggesting is we need to maybe start thinking about a standardized way. I mean, I, I have the same problems. I can probably reach out to any one of you right now via Slack, via Facebook, via text, via Twitter, like there's all kinds of ways and how do you decide what is the most appropriate way? Um, I'm not sure that you know, we're going to get a standardized way. Also, I, I think I slightly disagree on synchronous versus asynchronous. I think chat works very well for asynchronous because like whenever you get that message and whenever you get to answering it, um, it still works as well as email and it's shared and personal, um, uh, not personal, searchable. But my problem with chat ops and, and the whole team sharing and um, tool sharing, the biggest problem is it creates enormous amount of noise. So if I'm watching every message that pops up on every conversation that I'm in, I get too much. And if, if I'm not watching any of them, I end up not watching any of them, right? So right. Well, so I, I think that uh, to a little bit what you, what you were saying um, <clears throat> is um, – 
interrupt interruptions. And I think that the the onus is on the user, uh, the the person you're communicating with, to determine their tolerances for interruptions. So if if you know that you personally can't handle having that message flash all the time, I can't. I had to turn off a bunch of my notifications. But you know now I just have I let HipChat flash at the bottom. It doesn't tell me the message because if I see the message come up, I'll read it and want to respond to it. But if I have that flashing, I will eventually go into it and, and respond to it. And again, I know if someone really needs my attention, they're going to really make it blow up at me. Well, and, and that's the tricky <clears throat> part, I think. And I, I was, we had this conversation, um, you know, last week we were at a sales offsite and there was kind of a conversation about kind of the overload of, of Slack and like, you know, and and um, one of my coworkers on the sales side said, "I don't have time to go read through all the back scroll." And I said, "You don't have to read through all the back scroll." Exactly. It's like, and what, and I, the analogy that came to me when I was starting to describe it was, it was like TiVo. So if you remember when we all first got TiVo, what did you do? You recorded a shit ton of stuff, and you felt an obligation <laughs> to watch everything that you recorded, and then that was not scalable. It didn't work. So then you just recorded a whole bunch of stuff and watched whatever. And so the tricky part of that, and it requires kind of a balance on both sides, and I don't have a very specific answer to it, but is to realize that important things will rebubble again. So if you, because a problem with saying, like, especially things like decision making, decision making is really hard to do in chat with geographically disparate teams that don't live in that chat room. So, you know, our sales engineering team at Chef, we are all over the world. And what'll happen is someone will say, well, you know what? We should start using CloudFormation for our demos instead of, you know, chef provisioning. And then like three people are in there and have a whole conversation about it. And then, you know, I'm on vacation and I come back the next week and it's like, hey, guess what? We made this decision. And I was like, wait a minute. Or even forget about being on vacation. I was talking to a customer and I come back. I missed this whole conversation. So it's tricky with things like decisions. It's tricky with things where you need to, to create consensus. I think it's great for in the moment problem solving for saying if there's someone here and I think you have to build a culture that says it's also you also have to build a culture that says it's okay to ask a question again right you don't have to feel like you're bugging people like if I come in there and I pop into the you know chef DK chat room and say hey I'm having this problem with this particular gem and I get crickets it's okay for me to come back an hour later and ask the question again because someone else might be there unless Unless you're actually needing to fix oh. that problem now with a customer and like why is no one responding to the notification? And I, I think what would, would how would email be different? What would be different is that you could ignore your email and know that people are only using the Chef DK chat room for things that are need synchronous communication. Uh, I, I'm, no, no, I'm I, saying I, in that particular no, I'm, and I'm not being distra- I'm just saying like in that particular example I run the. I have the greater capability of saying I'm going to throw it out there. There may be nobody listening, mm-hmm. but then if I'm doing email, I have to be a little more targeted. And there's downsides too because I've had coworkers who have said, "Well, I mute all notifications of any channel unless I'm at replied to." And I'm like, "Well, that sucks because unless I know I should be talking to Peter, Peter is a subject matter expert of tons of things, right? And he might be watching the Chef DK chat room." And he might answer, but if I don't know, and I just heard his Slack, by the way, Peter's Slack notification <laughs> just went off. And, and so I think there's, there's a matter of figuring out where that comes in. But I do think it's, it's risky in any way to go 
super pendulum swing one way or the other. There's right. certainly opportunity for value of not just for immediate in the moment communication in a chat room. There is the to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, email is crazy, we should never do it. Again, to Peter, to your point, we need to fix what's wrong with email. Um, but the problem is I think we as a species try to go for the, right? It's, it's one or the other. It's like, well, you know what? I sometimes have to email with customers, so I'm only going to ever use email because it's annoying for me to have two tools. Well, I think you, know? you, you brought up an interesting point about decision-making, and I think maybe a lot of teams foolishly think that we can or should make decisions within chat, um, but that's not really you know, what the chat's for. It's for collaborating and, and you know, hashing out things and brainstorming, but maybe not necessarily making decisions. But if our alternative is to make decisions within email, I'm not sure that that's really any better. Um, I, people ignore emails. People miss yeah, emails. Yeah, exactly. We get so many emails that that's just as much noise. It's more noise for me, in fact. Um, so it's gonna, it's probably gonna vary. But one thing I wanted to add was when I did uh, a talk in uh, Minneapolis for their DevOps days, I did a lot of research because I wanted to back up some of the claims that I was making. And go um, figure. Yeah. And <laughs> so I, I found this um, um, this report that said it was something about uh, synchronous forms of communication, and they had determined that. We spend something close to like 25% of our work week just managing our inboxes. So going through inboxes and trying to get caught up on conversations on these long threads. And so we're spending a ton of time um, just dealing with our inbox. And then they took it a little bit further and said that you can actually increase productivity um, just by moving to more synchronous. You know, and that could just be something like instant messaging, it could be text messages, it could be something. But just by moving to that synchronous. Now again, I you know I, I don't know where they got all these numbers. These are just some numbers I found um, that helped me to support me. your hypothesis. Exactly. So therefore, they help must me, be right. Yeah, <laughs> help me how I needed it. Um, but when I think about it, I, I honestly think that that is uh, it does have some truth to it. And I think well, I mean, I, I, I've seen that. Yeah. I so mean, when I had a, I had a client that was across Europe and the United States, <clears throat> and. They had they, there were conversations that were happening at the coffee machines in the local office and never being brought further anywhere else. There were these giant email chains that people weren't really reading all of and were missing like the QA team didn't know when the dev team was actually doing anything and were yelling at operations because that they thought there was something wrong with the actual servers that were running the software. Mm -hmm. We brought we brought a chat tool in <clears throat> and it was it was like night and day because suddenly QA was able to see that there wasn't the operations team that was having a problem. It was the developers were solving a problem and then working with operations to, to pull things together. Yeah, and I think the reason why some of those old, those emails, they get a little bit out of control and they, they turn into these long, long threads is that we've, we've stopped treating email as a form of corresponding and it's actually, we've turned it into chat. Yes. I'll ask you a question, what hotel room should I stay in? And you're gonna respond back. And then I've got another question. We just do this back and forth. We're actually using email to chat. And then we're also sla slapping in all these different forwards and, and uh, footers and all these different things to, you know, to the body of the message. And suddenly you, need an your, suddenly you need your retina display to be able to see far enough across the screen. Yeah. What I wanted to do is take a step back and talk about, again, talk about what ChatUps is and what ChatUps is good at, right? What kind of problems it's excellent at solving and maybe what kind of problems we have with it, right? So it's excellent in solving that communication problem, right? And it, it's excellent in bringing everybody in into the same experience. So like everybody is remote 
in a chat room. Even if you're sitting right next to each other, everybody's in the same position. So if you're in the office across Europe or if you're across the room, you're having the same conversation. You can even brainstorm on the whiteboard in the same chat room, right? And so it brings people to the same experience and lets them share information. Another thing chat is excellent for is that shared history, right? So instead of repeating, rehashing, yourself you can just send someone be like search slack for xyz and then we're getting the benefit of like shared history of huge conversations right um another thing it's good for is uh getting messages from integrated tools so right this is mm -hmm. another thing that chat ups is talking about right i can i can uh, talk about my commits or my failed builds or whatever it is right and i can see it right, right in my chat room but so the problem I keep having with it, though, and I'm sure you guys have different problems and different problems that it also helps you solve. The problem I keep having with it is that it's incredibly noisy, right? And I want to be in the room where everybody shares in ex excellent gifts of whatever memes came out this week. I actually do want to see that, right? But, and, but then I'm presenting to a client and my chat just keeps popping up with messages that I don't even want to. Well, let me ask you this. If, if a Jenkins build fails, <laughs> how do you know? It's, if, you're, if it's not in chat, how, what, what method is that communicated to you? Most normally it would be email, right? Okay. And then do you have do you, a filter for that email? And or do you need to share that with the rest of the team that it failed at any point? Or is that just information only for you? Right. So, I mean, again, if we, we can be talking about different things, right? So I'm doing consulting, so I'm in, in a different client environment every week, right? And some, some people have uh, groups that things get emailed to, and some people have chat that it, it gets flushed into. And, you know, you can have different systems for this. Well, I guess the point I'm trying to, to sort of illustrate is this is important information that you need to know some, some way or another, right? So even if it's just that you started a, a platform build or whatever the case is, um, you're going to want to know the result of that somehow, some way. And so if that takes you actually going over to your tool and looking to see what happens, that's one way for you to get it. Or you could also have it served to you. But it, no matter what, um, you need to know that information one way or the other. And then I guess, and I totally agree that chat does get very noisy, especially when there's a lot of things, a lot of tools all, all going into one room or channel or whatever. Um, but not having that information, I think, is more detrimental than sh siloing it off into these other places that you then have to go get and then turn around and share. So I actually have a new thought on this that I, I just had this week. And that is, as a, as a consultant that, that primarily works with client teams directly and not so much internal teams, the internal chat ops tool is almost useless and and i say that loving the chat ops tool but what it winds up becoming is every, every once every two weeks somebody will say an anecdote or something that is actually related to the technologies we work with most of the time it's cat pictures but and so that's where i agree yes i i, I find myself turning turning hip chat off or our internal hip chat off um and then only using the client's HipChat or Slack or whatever tool that they're using. But the downside is how are you, if it is, so I know you've got your, you've got a bunch of individual threads to all of your different clients and customers. And again, in the case of, you know, like Peter, like your, your scenario is fairly similar, 
in some ways. But then how are you, you're, you're missing a huge opportunity of being able to, you're all working in your own individual silo at this point. Right. Because chances are there is actually something that you're doing that would be interesting to Sasha that because Sasha's not working with that customer, she has no way of knowing. And I, I, I don't have an answer to that. Um, but again, the other thing, and I, and this is something I know that in kind of some of our internal conversations have come up is that when you look within an organization, depending upon your role within that organization, some of the, you know, sometimes this seems like a no brainer. You're like, what do you mean you don't like chat? This solves every problem I possibly have. And that's actually usually someone in an engineering or an operational role. But then you start talking about people who are customer facing, you know, like people in Peter's role who say, hey, I actually don't spend most of my time talking to the rest of y'all. I spend most of my time talking to my customers, maybe, right? Or for me, I'm like, I actually spend way too much time talking to my coworkers, but that's okay. Uh, but you know, it's sort of, it's, it's cross-functional and then there's, there's capability for cross-functional communication, but then the people that I spend most of my time working with don't want to work in this tool. They don't want to live in this world because they don't spend most of their time. Like sales reps, sales reps live in email and that will never change, nor should it because that's how they talk to their customers. So if you're listening to this podcast and thinking, what should I do about chat and chat ops in my organization? I think all of us are agreed that you should have a rich chat client and find good uses for it. And by rich, I mean it supports searchable history, the ability to create topic-based rooms, and can integrate with bots. Now, beyond that... Wait, one, you, one oh, more no, no. Super, wait, yeah. super important feature that it has to support is conditional notifications. So you, you oh, have absolutely. to be able to select which rooms yeah. you're getting sure. notified about. Cause and I think a lot of that is table stakes these days, but yeah. Um, now thank God, can, thank now you. Now if I can remember my next okay. <laughs> which was how do you actually use that in your teams? For remote teams, use it religiously. And I've been in situations where Sasha and I are sitting next to each other. I'd be sitting next to Sasha, instead of talking to her, typing in chat, because I know that the people in the San Francisco office and Seattle office also need to know what's going on. And she would look back at me and also type. That is great because it brings remote teams together in real time. And and, and even for the fact of including them, it's also making them not be the exception like etsy does this incredibly well right where it's the idea if we all live in if we all live in chat it means if you're a remote person you're not the exception so yeah and it helps build that empathy too. now do you start replacing other forms of communication with it that's the opportunity to start running experiments and i think this is something i wish we had done when we rolled out slack at chef there was an email that would go out once a week with all the news that came out in chef would have been really interesting to have included um What's it, uh, redirects and all of those. You could say by email, the news got a click-through rate of 67%. Now we're sending those messages out in Slack. What's the click-through rate? Do more Would have been an interesting experiment. Yeah, no. Hmm. The other is to use... You um, can probably go back into it and it's, look at the statistics. It's, it's, it's too late. The ship has sailed. <laughs> we'll edit this part out. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing is, if you're familiar with Rescue Time, which is a client that tracks which applications you're using throughout the day, anonymizes, well, strips out potentially private information and makes that searchable on a site. You could track how much time are people spending in Gmail and HipChat and Slack versus various changes in time. Or when we get a new hire, we send out a welcome message by email, 
How many welcome messages did they get back in email versus, versus Slack? Slack yeah. Those are some experiments that you could, that I thought of that you one could do before and after to see what is the impact we want to have and what is the actual yeah. effect. It, it's it's very, de- it, 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 I, 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 this is a thing that I really agree with, with you on, Peter. Not that it's that, off, that odd for me to agree with you, but... Um, <laughs> In this case, where in a lot of ways, in this particular implementation, and, and you know, again, not not picking on Chef, but like we talk about measurement, like we we talk about, we're like you need to have your measurement in place. But if you want to pivot, if you want to make a change, you need to know before and after, not just based upon your gut, right? And to be able to have that data. And the the thing is, to to Peter's point, he just gave three really easy examples of how to capture that data, you yeah. know, without a whole lot of work, you know, to, because the good thing is it lets you know if your it lets you know if your experiment is successful. And then if it is, here's the other thing, because you're going to always have adoption problems, right? People, there's people who don't want to change. So, so let's say that everything is awesome moving to chat and you still have your like 20% of the company that are like, you know, fuck slack, right? I don't do that. You can now sit there and say, but look, here's data that mm-hmm. actually shows this is better. Because the problem that we might have right now, if I'm gonna go to my sales reps that I work with or whomever I work with and say, you really should be using this, I have to like invent a business case for it, well, right? And and I don't really, that's not, I don't have time for that. I, that, I can tell you something that worked for us. I, I, I actually think that that um, rescue time, that sounds like something yeah. everybody should try. Oh, and, and I'll, I will make a comment just so we'll post some stuff in the show notes. So I know Peter, had captured just some data for whatever it's worth. I use rescue time religiously. I didn't get around to actually pulling any charts and graphs to show the difference, but at the very minimum, I'll post in the show notes my personal comparison of you know how much time I spent in Gmail before and after our Slack conversion. I have no idea what the answer is gonna be. Actually, I kind of do, because I get reports. It's I spend way more time in Slack than I did in email. <laughs> That is open for debate as to whether or not that's good. Well, you, <laughs> I don't know. You made, the, you made the statement you need to make a use case or argument for like someone yeah. in the sales team per se. Uh, we saw the same thing. It was it was something that uh, was obviously adopted within our technical teams, our engineers, front end, back end, um, myself. We all just totally took to uh, chat over email almost immediately, but had some real strong pushback from sales, from marketing, from C level. Um, because and even support because they prefer email and I think mostly because that's the way that they, they communicate externally with their mm-hmm. with their customers yeah. which I totally get and that's not something that's going to change anytime soon but what I can say that has has worked for us internally is to actually start moving their tools not technical tools necessarily not things like github and Travis and things like that but using whatever tools they use like Trello um, like Salesforce making it so that for example, I, there's information within within our Salesforce you know system that I need to reference occasionally. Um, the chat ops book, for example, whenever somebody downloads that, I'm curious to see you know how many times has this been downloaded this week. I don't have to go look for that anymore. The bot goes and tells me every time somebody downloads that book. It also tells me every time somebody signs up for Victor Ops. This is all just happening now. I would have had to take time, set aside time at some point in the day to log into Salesforce, do some querying, clicking around to go find the information that I want. Now I just have it just giving it to me. And the fact that that's very useful for someone on our sales team, all of a sudden our adoption rate changed immediately, like overnight. And that hmm. 
to me, that's all I needed to do was I just needed to make something useful for them in chat. So well, and again, so you're not convincing them. You're actually just utilizing the tool to make things better. It's not like, how can I trick them into wanting to use chat? It's because to me, as I'm a developer, I'm like, okay, I see the value because I'm not interrupted then. I can see my commits. I can see whatever. I'm a salesperson. I could give a shit about get commits and I mean, messages, it, but how it, can... So Hi, you know, when you get this, like one of the things we have pushback from a lot is tool overload, right? Especially from, you know, customer facing teams and stuff who already have a bunch of extra crap they have to do, you know, to now say, wait a minute. So sometimes I look at a thing in Trello, but this thing's in Salesforce, this thing, now you're saying this is in Slack, this is in this. So if it's an opportunity to make that, and I do not, I intentionally would not use the term single pane of glass, but just sort of simplify their world. But at the exact so if know. you want to pitch to a CEO or whoever, just take yeah. a problem that they have to solve every week manually and solve it in chat, yeah. right? Our problem is we don't have to pitch to our CEO. Our CEO is the one who told us to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a huge problem. What you're suggesting is exactly what I did. I actually just created a, a form, a Google form, yeah. and I did a poll around the office. Um, ironically, I sent it out via, via email. I said, okay, if you could, if you could get something... One magical thing to happen. If I could just do one thing for you within chat, what would it be? And I just took that and I and I ran with it. And I started making something useful for every single team. And all of a sudden, it was a they just onboarded themselves. I mean, but I think have the, you demonstrated that now that people are doing these things by chat, is the company actually better off? Are they you spending less time in the communication tools, or are they better informed? I think uh, I don't think we definitely have not tried to figure that out. Um, I think that's something probably that is uh, coming for sure because now that we've adopted it and we've moved definitely away from email, uh, we, we have this culture of measuring everything. We under, understand are we improving? Is this is this the best best way of getting this done? Um, but I'm not sure the the actual best way to do that measurement. So it sounds like maybe rescue time is is something that we can uh, look at providing some sort of metric. So now you can have a bot that will inform you what rescue times are. <laughs> I, I do say that you get a, um, a weekly email um, from your, you know, we use Slack, and so I get a weekly email and it tells me all kinds of activity, um, gives me a percentage. The, the one thing I struggle with right now is that I'm still seeing a majority of our, well, they, it depends on the week, but many of our conversations actually happening as direct messages rather than I'm, just mm -hmm. in the group chat. And I want to ask about that it. because I remember making that comment. I think it came up in internal Slack and it was brought up and we're saying, why is that bad? So I want to know, I mean, I understand the whole like communicate in the open, stuff like that, but is that inherently bad to actually be having one-on-one -on -one conversations? Sometimes? Well, I think just in terms of the, the DevOps philosophy and mindset is that we want to openly share everything possible so that we can learn and everybody has this transparency and you're constantly pairing. And if, Matt, let's say you and I um, uh, you know, work with each other, you've got a question that you know I can answer, um, you're going to direct message me that question. And me, just being stubborn, I'm actually going to then hop into our general room and answer your question because I just have a hunch the answer is useful to someone beyond just you. So the, I'm trying to stay out of direct messages unless it really is a private conversation. If, if this is something that I actually don't want anyone else to know about, which isn't very often, mm -hmm. um, why doesn't it have to just be a conversation that we're having as though we're standing next to each other it, and there are other mm -hmm. people listening? Well, it's about interrupt management. If I ask a question in Chef DK and no one answers, I have a choice of saying, 
at channel, hey, can someone answer this question and interrupting 18 people in six different time zones? Or if I just go to one person I know in that well, channel, you, you, but if you, you can go to Ed Matt Strad and instead in, of sending me a DM, instead of doing a direct message, which also which allows anybody else in that room to respond. Okay, there's a couple that, ways. Yes, you can do that. Well, no, 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 <laughs> but I but not, I do think there's still anything. I do think it's still okay. So I just pulled yeah. up just for curiosity's sake. So my rescue time report for last week. So for the week of August 16th, I spent almost four hours in Slack. Now these numbers are slightly skewed because I use Slack for a lot more than just work. So we have Slack for, and especially that number probably went way up like the week or two before DevOps days because we use Slack for planning this conference. Um, I spent less, I spent all week, this was all of last week, I spent 48 minutes in email. Right, what I was wow. looking at is that my total time spent in Gmail and Slack has gone up, but I versus. Right. No, no, I just didn't. I have to crunch those numbers. But um, but that's probably because I'm still a fairly ineffective Slack user, so I don't know what the long Right. So I think the, the, the question that would be interesting to look at and then to determine whether or not this is the right axis of measurement is if before my, if you take Gmail plus Slack or whatever, you know, email plus Slack together as amount of time spent communicating, if that number, if I'm being more efficient with communication by using Slack, that cumulative number should go down. Now the question though, and that becomes a value judgment, which is, is that actually good that it goes down? Because maybe I wasn't, because it's not necessarily purely quantitative, right? And that's super hard. I don't know the right answer to that. Like, am I spending, yeah, you know, maybe I'm spending less time communicating, but that's because I just like table flipped it and said, this is stupid, I can't ever talk to anybody. Yeah. You know, or it may be that I'm spending more time, in, but saying, "Oh, look, now I spend way more time communicating, so I'm much more open." And you're like, "No, it's just a bunch of cat pictures, right?" Sorry. You know what I mean? So I don't. That's an interesting question just for. Saying, I wonder. Cat pictures improve productivity. Well, the internet is about kids. <laughs> yeah, full of cats. Full of cats. yeah no, we, just, we should all tweet at Rescue Time saying, "Hey, could you please mine the data globally for trends in use of hip chat Gmail Slack?" Because they could do that. Uh, and it would be wonderful clickbait. Right, that'd be really interesting. And really interesting for us. That is an awesome so, idea. Um, so we're coming close yeah. to so okay. I, okay, I have a different question. So one thing that we struggled with as a company, and I think every company that I've ever been to struggles with, is knowledge sharing in terms of like articles and blog posts and, and things that you know are going to be usable, useful to your team like two weeks from now or maybe three months from now and, and you want to share it with your company. Um, and so like people adopt all sorts of solutions like SharePoint and Yammer yep. and wikis and whatever and it um, for, from what I've seen, it almost always fails. Yeah. So I want to ask if anybody has adopted chat ops as a solution to this problem we, and how. So we, we went through this. Um, so in Slack, there's this idea of a pin. And I'm going to not speak specifically around Chef. I'm going to actually talk very specifically about my team at Chef because I don't know how the rest of everybody's doing it at Chef. Um, so, but in Slack, there's this idea of pinned items, right? Where you're just sort of saying like, this is a little bookmark for this channel, as opposed to my own personal bookmarks of, of a post. So what we do is for a while, we were like pinning stuff all the time. And then you get like pin overload. You're like, but there's like 20,000 pinned items in this channel. So we treat our pinned items as like the refrigerator, you know, sort of like you got the refrigerator in the office, which is at the end of the week, everything gets thrown away. So we self-curate because nothing in there really should live for longer than that. If it's longer than, if it's something that is very long-lived, so we actually have 
and it's just a Google Google page, Google web page thing. Which, by the way, if you've ever had to use Google's like pages thing and Google Apps, it will send you flashbacks to Microsoft front page 1997. It's hilarious. Oh, it's awful, but it's useful for our point. So, if we're like, hey, if something should live longer than a week because it's a really useful bit of resource, not an article, not a how to, but just like then we will move it. And say, okay, I'm going to put this into our FAQs or our tips page or whatever. But as I'm going along, if somebody posts up, they're like, oh, here's the link to this, you know, read me about how to do a thing. Someone will pin it. And then we just kind of self-curate at the end of the week and look back and say, yep, this stuff's a week old. It's stale and remove it. So you kind of can always know. And why that was really important for us, too, is being geographically dispersed. So we have a fair number of people on our team who are on EMEA who are eight hours ahead of us. So the problem is, you know, so the folks over there in, in the UK and all that, they get up in the morning, they go into the sales engineering room and they're like, I have to scroll back through like 20 pages of Matt's stupid animated GIFs and jokes about Gordon Ramsay and blah, 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 to find a couple nuggets of information that I care about. So we've taken to saying like, if there's something really important, we pin it so that our colleagues that might not be there can do a quick, re, re, you know, that the, it makes the back scroll a little more manageable. They can look back through that really quick and understand because it only has to be long lived for 48 hours, you know, or something like that. Long lived bookmarks. I mean, I really think they need to go into, but the, there's a big difference of trying to use um, the same tool for kind of your long lived knowledge sharing as well as for your quick little, hey, I just read this super rad article about like how Wired migrated Instagram. That does not need to go into your knowledge base portal. That's something you want to share with people, like, kind so of ephemerally. So it's more like highlights of the week. Kind highlights of, of the week, kind of thing, whatever. And if it, if it looks like something that you're like, this is part of our ongoing knowledge, then it goes into, like, a knowledge base. And the reality of the world is that stuff, I think, is far less frequent than you really think it needs to be. Well, and the, and the way... My opinion. I love the way you're, you're handling it as far as the, the self-curated part. I think that's probably something uh, we, should, we should all consider. But um, the, the idea that... Well, a lot of people forget that these channels or rooms or whatever it is, depending on the tool, should be, can be, um, treated as disposable. You know, a lot of people are just trying to put too much stuff into rooms like a general room or a random room or a fun room or yeah. whatever. We actually split things off so that we have a, we have a Goodreads room. Like I've read an article that, you know, Trevor or somebody wrote. I'm like, hey, I think that there's something useful in here. I'm going to put it into the Goodreads. I don't want to bother anybody about it, but I'm going to put it in there. I'm and I want start people a cat to come so, so it's kind of like in a way, instead of channels being, instead of the topic being about the content, it's about the way it's consumed almost, right? Instead of saying like, mm -hmm. here's my, I have a room about Ruby and I have a room about Python and I have a room about Chef. It's more like I have a room that is short articles. I have a room that is books. I have a room that is projects. I have a room that is videos. And so it's like, take, I don't know. I could, you know, I could take it even further. I can make it a room about today's project. And as soon as this project is over, we just archive yep. that, mm -hmm. that conversation. I can always go back and get it later if yeah. I like. Oh. Um, but let's just take it off our plate so we don't see it. Um, but a lot of people just sort of get tied up into, well, this conversation is marketing related, so it's got to be in the it's marketing just, There's a marketing thing. room. Well, it is marketing related, but it's actually Q3 DevOps Days Chicago, and it's very specific to that. Let's create a room or a channel a femoral, or whatever right? just mm -hmm. for that. Um, that everybody can still, no matter what team they're on, marketing, sales, engineers, they can all see it and they can all be a part of that conversation. It's like an open so space, and when it's done, it's done. 
that may be of interest. I have a question that may be of interest to our listeners, but I don't know if we have time for a new topic, which is essentially, I practice inbox zero. How do you practice chat op zero? Hmm. I don't, I'm not very command good Command Q. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a command. I don't know what is it. It's a command escape in Slack. It clears everything. You're done. <laughs> but by that, I mean, I have a sense that people have been trying to communicate to me by email. I can decide whether or not to read the message based on the subject yep. line. But at some point, I've zeroed out my inbox. I know that people have been trying to reach me are done. People have been trying to send me information I'm caught up with. And I have a hard sense of knowing when I'm caught up. In an inbox, you have the subject line, which <clears throat> helps you, and, and who it directed to, whether you copied or actually uh, directed like to. Um, so in, in the chat, unless it's at you, it's very hard, hard to tell which messages are important and which but, are not. And that's the way that I do it. So, and we could probably put this, I would put this as a short thing because we're going to have to wrap it up, but this is a question to the listeners. Listeners, we would love... Please tweet at us at, at Arrested DevOps and let us know how you might practice chat op zero or leave a comment on this episode, which is at arresteddevops.com slash 42. I'll just tell you the way that I do it is a combination of in Slack. There's a, if you go, if you hit command period and you get the little sidebar, by the way, everybody listening, you can't see me gesturing off to the side. If you have recent mentions, <laughs> it's which shows. very helpful. No, I'm, I'm not done. <laughs> I mean, that's gesturing to the side. Oh, the gesturing. Oh, I was like, no, it's not. You're like, I'm seeing it. I still don't know what you're talking anything. about. Um, I can look at recent mentions, which is across all of my channels to say, so I will, I do that for when I've been stepped away for a while, I'll go very quickly look at recent mentions. And then of the small handful of rooms where I'm like, this is where important things happen. I go and I do a quick scan through the pinned items. That's my inbox zero. I'm like, if it's, if it was important, it's either that I got tagged in it or it was pinned. And if those things don't happen, they'll bubble up somewhere else. But what that requires is also a certain level of trust that I am not working on a team that is assuming that consensus about an important decision is going to be made solely in chat. And so that's the thing within our particular team at Chef that we have made, you know, we struggled with it and we changed. And we said within sales engineering, consensus based decisions are not actually made in Slack. We make them in a different way. So I, that has lifted this giant burden off my shoulders of feeling like if I don't stay on top of everything, I'm going to miss out. FOMO is real. You know, exactly. And that helps a lot um, in, in my particular experience. So, uh, but that being said, we are coming up to the end of our time. And for those of you listening, we're doing this during an open space and the barbarians are at the gate and wanting to use this room probably. <laughs> so, um, I lost my notes here. Uh, time each for one summation. Comment. Yeah, yeah. I was just, yeah. Let's let's do that real quick. So just we're gonna go around to our guests and what is would be your either bit of advice, bit of warning, what bit I'm, of you know where nailing or gnashing, wailing and gnashing of teeth about chat. What I'm looking forward to is actually computers being smart enough about knowing when to interrupt us when affective computing sees a message in a chat room, determines who's the least. Um, invested in their work right now and just notifying that person instead of notifying everyone. All right. Um, so my takeaway is if you're considering using chat ups, then the verdict is definitely use it, but be very careful about how you use it, um, how you start the adoption, and be very careful about selecting the right tool for you. Uh, yeah, agree with all those. Um, I would just add that 
you know, it's not perfect for sure. I think this is something that um, just in the past, you know, handful of years, teams are starting to sort of look at as, a, as an alternative to different, uh, you know, uh, old school ways of getting things done. And this is just sort of the new way of getting, th or a new way of getting things done. We're, we're taking the things that we're already doing and we're merging them with the, the conversations we're already having. And it's just sort of creating these new efficiencies that we uh, all of a sudden are at least interested in exploring. Great. So uh, we got a couple things to wrap up. Uh, first of all, we got just uh, very quickly on the upcoming conferences. Uh, don't forget to go check out DevOpsDays.org. There's a whole bunch of new DevOps Days coming up in the next couple months. There's CFPs open. Come and speak. Give a talk about chat ops. It'll be great. I uh, want to share with you, I promised on our last episode that we would have a discount code for the Chef Community Summits. Uh, so these are good for both um, the Seattle and the London version of Chef Community Summit. The discount code Arrested DevOps will get you 20% off your registration. Seattle version of Chef Community Summit is October 14th through the 15th, and London will be November 3rd and 4th. Go to chef.io slash summit. Uh, we're skipping checkouts um, because we are. And so just a quick reminder that we do have a newsletter, arresteddevops.com slash banana stand. It's the best way to know about upcoming podcast episodes and cool news with DevOps. We have an iPhone app. If you want to put an iPhone app that says REST DevOps on your phone, go to ArrestDevOps.com slash iPhone. Thanks to our sponsors. Be sure to visit them at ArrestedDevOps.com slash 10th Magnitude and ArrestedDevOps.com slash VictorOps and ArrestedDevOps.com slash Datadog. Thanks to Jason, Sasha, and Peter for joining us. And to our loyal listeners, let's get a cheer, everybody in the everybody room. Everybody who sat and listened to this audience. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoy Arrested DevOps, we'd appreciate it if you visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash iTunes and leave, in a, leave us a review in the iTunes store. We would love to know what you thought of this episode. Please leave us a comment at ArrestedDevOps.com slash 42. You can check us out at ArrestedDevOps.com or at ArrestedDevOps on Twitter. We're always happy to get your input, ideas, or feedback at shows at ArrestedDevOps.com. Please let us know any ideas you have for future episodes. I'm Matt, at Matt Stratton. And I'm Trevor, at Trevor G. Hess. We're Arrested DevOps, and remember... There's always DevOps... In the banana stand. <laughs>